Welcome to The Public Narrative, A Word with Jamira Alexander. I'm your host, Jamira Alexander, President and Executive Director of Public Narrative, a community media resource nonprofit based right here in Chicago that champions narrative change through workshops, training, programming, and research, building more authentic relationships between media makers, nonprofits, and you, the community. A word is the chance to bring different guests on the show that can help us better understand some of the pertinent issues our communities face when it comes to public safety, education, and health. In an investigation last year on pharmacy deserts in Chicago, WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times reported the number of pharmacy deserts on Chicago's south and west sides increased. This is just one of the many disparities that was exacerbated since the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. The city has put forth plans like Invest Southwest, among others to combat historical wealth and wellness gaps that are evident between Chicago's north side and south and west sides of town. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Resources, the five social determinants of health include economic stability, healthcare access and quality, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context, and education access and quality. These broad ranging factors exist in different capacities depending on which part of Chicago you reside. Joining me today to discuss how economic development addresses social determinants of health in marginalized communities is David Peterson, Executive Director of the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum and Melvin Thompson, Principal of Resolute Consulting Group. We'll be right back to learn more about David and Melvin and to get into a word. Hi, I'm Felicia Davis-Blakely, guest hosting for Darius Hellman. Joining me on the next edition in the arena, Cook County Commissioner Josina Morita. I represent a district with 100 languages spoken. Until we can have full inclusion, we can't have full equity. Join the conversation Tuesday at 7 p.m. on CAN-TV Cable 19 and streaming on CAN-TV.org and the CAN-TV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. Welcome back to Public Narrative Award. David, Melvin, thank you both for joining me today. We'll start with you, David. How did you get involved with the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum? Uh, well, it's a true uh, testament and story of uh, American family legacy and generational wealth. Um, you know, my mother founded the museum when I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, and through the social learning environment that she set up for me, I just kind of fell into the seat as I became an adult. Nice. And how has the vision for it evolved over the years? Uh, it, it, it has evolved tremendously. You know, it started off as just, um, you know, a museum that has been forced to do more with less. Uh, so we have actually become the epicenter for uh, cultural economic development on the mm -hmm. far south side, particularly in the Pullman National Monument, well, Pullman National Historical Park. Uh, so over, over the last 28 years, we've been able to impact our community socially and economically. Uh, in several different ways and um, help bring a, a National Park Service site to sh the city of Chicago. Excellent, excellent. And Melvin, how did you get involved in your planning work? Well, uh, almost 10 years ago, uh, I came to become the executive director of a community-based organization uh, that was birthed from a church and it focused in health, education, and community development. And we didn't have a plan. And so one of the first things I wanted to do, I had a vision for what the community could become, but we didn't have the technical assistance or planning and assets and SWOT analysis and all those things. And so we were able to secure planning for that community. And that really launched all the catalytic things that followed. 
And so ultimately, the investment that both of you, you know, look to in, in supporting not only your work, but also the residual effect of it, like how has investment in Chicago's South and West Sides affected social determinants of health, Melvin? Wow. Um, everything we touch in every category of health uh, disparity, we're leading, um, whether it's heart disease, dementia now, uh, diabetes, and all of those things are directly correlated to the built environment. And so uh, I wasn't aware of that initially starting out, but um, the lack of a grocery store, pharmacies closing in our community have a direct impact on our health outcomes, and it's only exacerbated when those things aren't there. Now, David, how has your work been transformed by community collaboration? Uh, community collaboration has given, given us the opportunity to do more, again, with less, uh, to the point of SDOH. You know, we had an opportunity to do a two-year research study mm -hmm. uh, with Failings Family Services uh, and the Healthy Chicago Equity Zone. Uh, and what we did was um, we were basically the far south region mm -hmm. uh, for uh, the HCEZ uh, city initiative. And that gave us the opportunity to do focus groups um, and, and educate the community on SDOH and, um, you know, the impacts of it while kind of helping people uh, connect them to resources. Uh, starting at COVID. Uh, that's just one, one aspect. The other aspect is workforce development, jobs training. Uh, this is all going back to our, our very, very strategic urban planning uh, project that we're working on. Uh, I had an opportunity to major in planning at Florida A&M University, uh, and then I took that to the next level at DePaul University here uh, for graduate school. And um, all of these different things that I've learned from pedagogy and practitionership has given us, uh, as an institution, the opportunity to, you know, kind of spawn our web out a little more. Um, so that being the case, our impact has um, affected generations. Uh, we don't just focus on youth. We don't just focus on elders at risk. We just focus on the community at large. Your work is very impressive. I've, I've followed it for at least the last two years or so to really understand like how you connect community leaders through your Gentle Warrior Award. Um, just in looking at, did you ever imagine that your work would come full circle in this way, that you would understand how to connect community members with city plans? Yes. Uh, when I was 17, I decided I wanted to major in planning. Mm -hmm. um, one of my, my older good friends, a brother by the name of Kelwin Harris, he was um, he's a lot, little older than me, uh, but he, he went to uh, Cornell mm -hmm. and he majored in planning. He was kind of like a big brother to me and I always kind of looked up to him and uh, he kind of piqued my interest in planning. Uh, my mother piqued my interest in development because before we got into the museum business, she was into uh, rehabbing mm -hmm. development and uh, my, my grandfather and my uncles and aunt we're all into that, the construction world as well. So again, going back to social learning environment, I've kind of been in this space since I was a child. Um, so, you know, when I had an opportunity to kind of connect it with education, it, it began to make sense a little more. Um, I think that, you know, creating social learning environments for not necessarily only children, but just community at large is important because it gives us the capacity to learn through non-conventional ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what we do. Excellent. Now, Melvin, can you give us a sense of the agencies or institutions you've worked with in helping to transform Chicago through, you know, the equitable transit oriented development sure. or even the Red Line Extension Project? Sure. Well, uh, it, collaboration, David, is right on right on point about collaboration because you need entities sometimes outside of your community uh, to see through a different lens. And one of the things that we were able to do 
was get an ordinance passed over the last couple of years, as actually last year, the uh, ETOD, the Economic Transit Oriented Development Ordinances, which is mm -hmm. a community ordinance that mandates economic development around transit stations on the south and west sides of the city where there's literally no economic development in that one half mile radius of those transit stations. So we partnered with agencies like Elevated Chicago, even Philanthropies, Chicago Community Trust, uh, the, city, the city of Chicago's planning department. A lot of entities, community-based organizations came together to push aldermen to literally uh, enforce this, this new ordinance because the old ordinance from 2013 did not address our communities. All of the development was going around transit stations on the north side. And so we had to kind of pivot from that and say, you know, these communities on the south and west side are barren and we need something more than just say so. We need a law. We yes. need something to actually push this through. Now, have you all seen, I mean, it seemed from the outside looking in, it seems like you all are a part of that shift of accountability to make certain that what plans are documented, we actually see come to fruition in our communities. David, how do you imagine that the uh, your investment to Pullman and Far South, the how does how does that help to secure the future of black and brown families in the area? Well, very intentionally and uh, strategically through our connection with the Far South Chicago Coalition, of which I'm a board member and I serve as a co-chair for the Transportation and uh, uh, Tourism Committee which has collaborate, collaborated with the Economic Development and Workforce Development. And what we did was we partnered with LISC to put together uh, the Far South, uh, Far South's first quality of life plan in the last like 20 years. Uh, so with this quality of life plan, we've been able to go out, do the reconnaissance and find out what the people actually want, find out what's actually going on, and now we're in the implementation strategy of that. Uh, so, so with that, we, we have you know, a lot of different um, empirical data that we've been able to attain. And uh, what that's doing is it's given us the opportunity to again create a tangible workbook and work plan that we can actually work from with measurable outcomes and, and things that we need to get done. You know, what we, we, we're very, very uh, good at t talking about the problems, mm -hmm. you know, but we're not as good as talking about the solutions. And that's what this quality of life plan is all about. I'm fascinated by this work because, um, you know, historically, the uh, Pullman Porters helped to establish the black middle class. Mm -hmm. And here you all are doing this work to help establish the future of black Chicago through and by the Pullman Porter Museum, I think is, is fascinating. At any point in your careers, have your paths crossed? Uh, you know, the, with the with the far south, uh, the LISC uh, yeah. project. Because yeah. I served on the economic development team yeah. mm -hmm. uh, for the quality of life plan, mm -hmm. so we we connected there, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Melvin, how do you? What response do you hear from community members around this work? I know you host a lot of town halls and sure. you gather a lot of data from community members, qualitative data. Yeah. What 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 are some of their responses to the developments across Chicago? Yeah. Well, the elephant in the room is the red line extension, mm -hmm. which is now seemingly coming to fruition. So we're super excited about that actually happening and people actually seeing uh, money um, being funneled to the community. I read somewhere where it takes about a billion dollars to literally transform a community. And so this rail line extension has so many byproducts to it that beyond the rail and the infrastructure, 
so many jobs, construction, all kinds of businesses will come to the area. So we're really looking at transformation and the community is super excited about all the opportunities and it's it's almost like you've been waiting for something for so long, mm -hmm. now it's literally here and what do we do next and how do we prepare ourselves to make sure, and I think that's the biggest outcry, how will residents literally be engaged in in all of this work or will they be standing outside of a fence watching you know from from a bar which has been the history um we we haven't been participants and so it's incumbent upon uh, people like myself and david to make sure that we hold people accountable mm -hmm. to engaging them um, because it's just lip service mm -hmm. otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that, that leads to my next question because like what does accountability as the city <laughs> is concerned, like what does accountability look like when it comes to those city plans? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just say when we uh, spearheaded the um, renovation of Carter G. Woodson Library a few years back, uh, we demanded that an African-American have oversight of a, that entire project and the hiring of returning citizens exceeded the six or 10, I think it was like 30% uh, on the job participating in that renovation. So it's like you, you, you hear the city or you hear someone give you what they're going to do, but then you make sure and follow up to make sure that those things are being implemented. You all are both very vital voices in those rooms. I mean, certainly you represent communities of folks who may never set foot in those spaces. Mm -hmm. How do you imagine um, Chicago, the city of Chicago as a whole, as a unit, how do you imagine Chicago leaders taking seriously the accountability f towards their work and their contributions to these efforts? So for example, you know, these plans are rolled out and you know, they're maybe a three to four year initiative but of course, there are many hurdles and bumps along the way. How do we stay the course? Like, where's the accountability for that? I think that it takes people, um, again, who are practitioners uh, and astute in terms of civic engagement mm -hmm. to set up um, mechanisms where we can have accountability. Uh, I myself, for the last few years, um, have been trying to connect with anybody and whoever will listen, whoever has any type of uh, knowledge about this, about creating a negligent staffer ordinance. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, you know, our elected officials mean to do very well. Mm -hmm. uh, they have great intentions, but it's the people in their office who assume that they're the elected official that mm -hmm. make these processes very, very problematic. Mm -hmm. So let's say for the sake of this discussion, we have a great idea. The elected official believes in it, but the staffer's ego gets in between mm -hmm. and says, oh, you know what, I determine or I decide that this isn't important. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to just throw it in the garbage or I won't I won't get this call returned or follow up, you know. So I think that we have to start with, again, creating tangible uh, mechanisms for, for accountability. In addition to that, um, you know, having the capacity to present things to elected officials um, so that they can, you know, understand a little more. You know, a lot of people don't have that skill set. You know, we need to come to elected officials with briefing memos mm -hmm. that says, this is what I want, this is how I want to get it done, this is the research uh, that I've already done in order to do it, as opposed to just complaining and saying, well, you know what, my water's off, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. You know, a uh, primary example with our new mayor, you know, he's been in office in, what, 100 days, mm -hmm. and everything under the sun is blamed on him. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not realistic. You know, so we just have to be realistic and, and, and have accountability uh, with ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And what solutions are you all seeing that help to improve these gaps in communication citywide? Well, first, I, I piggyback on everything David said, but I've always vouched for deconstructing how things have gone for mm -hmm. 
decades. Um, I got to be a co-chair of the We Will Chicago, mm -hmm. City of Chicago plan. Mm -hmm. If you can believe the city hasn't had a plan in 60 years. Um, so we've been operating literally off an old model that didn't include us at all. And so a couple of years ago, we had a chance to actually engage the community on what that plan should look like. And now that we have a solid plan, we need to see that implemented and we're gonna make sure that there are metrics in place to make sure that those things that we talked about for 22 months actually get implemented. Melvin, David, what do you all hear from community members that inspires you to continue in this work? Um, we're tired of feeling like guinea pigs mm -hmm. and feeling like people come in and do research on us, monetize off of that research and data, and then don't include us. Uh, what you guys are saying is different. It sounds like you really are trying to include us, and that makes me feel special. Mm -hmm. uh, when I hear that from young adults, elders, uh, and, and again, just community at large, it makes me feel as if the work that we're doing has finally made people feel in included and involved. Mm -hmm. Well, I get inspired. Uh, I'll go back to the library again. Once the library was done and that was such a community-led effort that I started getting phone calls about Melvin. You know, the vacant Aldi's um, down the street, we can do this and make it an event center. So it really stimulated a belief system. Um, I think that's one of the things that I heard during the renovation of the library. People didn't even believe that the city would actually renovate the library. Mm -hmm. And even though we're paying taxes, mm -hmm. and why shouldn't our library, but people didn't believe it because it was allowed to be in disrepair for like mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years. So to actually see that happen, reinstilled that belief system, and now people are looking at other things around the community. And I'm inspired that, you know, it doesn't have to just be Melvin, you know, echoing these things, but it's community. Absolutely. And and community members get a chance to be a part of that process and see it actually happen in their lifetime. See it unfold. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. If there's anything you could say to your audience um, just then or even folks who are just now learning about your work, like what what would you say to them today? Uh, visit our website, you know, go by the museum and I click on the QR code uh, on, on the CDEP panel. Uh, CDEP is an acronym for Community Economic Development Empowerment Project. If you want to become involved with the project, you want to be on the workforce, you need training, uh, apprenticeship, internship, um, you know, join our, our membership. Uh, give us your feedback. Let us know how we can help you help this entire project, help the entire community. Excellent. I'd just say <clears> the <throat> same thing, but the Red Line Extension is going to have so many opportunities. Attend meetings, uh, find out what, you know, we were talking about urban planning earlier. We are all urban planners in our own way. We know our communities better than anyone who doesn't look like us that comes in and plans our communities. So we have input that's very valuable. We know neighborhoods, we know blocks, we know vacant homes, we know, you know, what's going on in the community that information and that expertise needs to be tapped. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you for that. And thank you all both for being here today. This thank is you. the Public Narrative Award. I'm your host, Jamira Alexander, and we'll be right back with a final word. Hello, I'm Bianca Cotton, host of Behind the Confidence Smile. Tune in Monday at 7.30 p.m. on CanTV Channel 19, cantv.org, and CanTV Plus app for a reflective discussion about FARA's ADHD diagnoses in adulthood. You never had a title for it. There wasn't this kind of talk about mental health, you know.
Let's get into a word. Community leaders like today's guests understand the disinvestment impacts the well-being of residents in marginalized communities on our city's south and west sides. At the heart of community collaboration among residents, institutions, organizations, and investors is the opportunity to generate economic engines that generate revenue for community infrastructure and generational wealth through vehicles like home ownership and entrepreneurship. These vehicles and others help shift marginalized communities from surviving to thriving. And if our communities are given the tools needed to thrive, we must continue to take an honest look at these plans and initiatives from the city whose historically empty promises deliver delusion rather than destiny. Thank you to David Peterson of the A. Philip Randolph Pullman Porter Museum and Melvin Thompson of Resolute Consulting Group for joining me today. For more information about the Pullman Porter Museum, visit aprpullmanportermuseum.org. And make sure to follow All Things Public Narrative by visiting publicnarrative.org and following us at Public Narrative on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and X, formerly known as Twitter. This has been The Public Narrative, A Word with Jamira Alexander. See you next time.